0: Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Tuesday the 27th of October. I'm Tom Tilly and today we're going to brief you on sport in the time of COVID. We've got the grand finals out of the way. It was big relief that that happened over the weekend. They were very successful. But has the pandemic changed football forever?
1: Just because we've got this year away, we know certainly next year there's things we have to look at as well. Do we go early with the season? How do we go about it? It's uh it all starts again very very quickly.
0: Eddie Maguire on The Briefing. Right now, let's hit the news of the day with Anika Smithhurst.
2: After 111 days and some of the world's strictest lockdown measures, the words every Melbourneian has been desperate to hear.
0: We are able to say that now is the time to open up. Now is the time to congratulate every single Victorian for staying the course. What a huge moment. Congratulations, Melbourne. Uh, Today is the final day of Melbourne's tough restrictions after no cases yesterday for the first time since June. So after midnight tonight, pubs, restaurants and cafes are opening back up.
1: Can I confirm that what you're saying is is that we can finally get back
0: on the beers? Uh, I don't know that I'll be drinking a beer tonight. I might go a little higher up the shelf.
2: (laughs) Perhaps we'll have a bit of a hangover today. Look... Those pubs can have 20 people inside and 50 outside. Australian venue co-boss Paul Watterson said... The response was swift. The number of our pubs were booked out within 20, 30 minutes of the Premier's announcement.
0: Yeah, apparently the bookings were absolutely off the hook. People were sitting around watching that announcement yesterday and straight onto the websites of the different restaurants and pubs around Melbourne. Um, So good to see some business will be coming back even with those restricted numbers. Um, Retail's opening up as well. And the Premier will announce further steps on November 8th. Uh, From November 9, the 25k travel limit and the so-called Ring of Steel separating Melbourne and regional Victoria will also come down.
2: And it's not just Melbourne opening back up. Yesterday, Tasmania opened its borders after seven months to all states and territories except New South Wales and Victoria.
0: And it's going to be interesting, Annika, when New South Wales opens its border to Victoria because we've been uh, in New South Wales jumping up and down about the Queensland border (laughs) Now the shoe's on the other foot.
2: I cannot wait. I'm very happy for Melbourne, but I want to get home. So I'll be lining up at Aubrey de Modonga in my car, waiting to get across that border.
0: And an update on a story we brought you yesterday about Australian women being invasively medically examined after a premature baby was found in an airport bathroom.
2: Authorities in Doha have confirmed that the baby is alive, despite initial reports, and it's in the care of social workers. It's understood that the mother still hasn't been found.
0: Yeah, the case surrounding the physical searches has now been reported to the AFP. Here's the Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne.
2: This is a grossly, grossly disturbing, offensive, concerning set of events. Uh, It is not something I have ever heard of occurring in my life uh, in any context. She's confirmed that the government has registered Australia's serious concerns with Qatar and expects a report on the incident this week.
0: I'm judging from the tone of your voice that there's <laughs> nothing we can actually do here.
2: Of course not. A foreign government has done this. When we go through these countries, even if it's just in a stopover on an aeroplane, we are subject to their laws and it'll be a big surprise to me and a lot of people if anything actually comes of this report. A police officer who shot an Indigenous teenager in the Northern Territory will stand trial for murder.
0: Constable Zachary Rolfe is accused of murdering 19-year-old Kuman Jai Walker, during an attempted arrest in a remote Indigenous community last year.
2: Rolf was stabbed before shooting the teenager. Prosecutors successfully argued that there was enough evidence for him to stand trial. The first shot they allege was self-defence, but the second and third they will allege were murder because Walker had already been restrained.
0: The 29-year-old constable and three other officers were trying to arrest Walker on four charges, including assaulting police with an axe, Rolf hasn't entered a formal plea, but has indicated that he's planning to plead not guilty. And thousands of Australia Post officers are planning to mail $5 notes to the Prime Minister.
2: Yeah, nearly 3,000 of them are also threatening to shut tomorrow... Annoying, I need to pick up some mail. (laughs) They're protesting about the treatment of CEO Christine Holgate, who was forced to stand aside after revelation she spent almost $20,000 gifting Cartier watches to senior executives.
0: These Australia Post officers say Miss Holgate's appointment in 2017 into the role of CEO of Australia Post was a big and positive turning point and that the cash is to cover the cost of the watches. And and in other news about highly paid executives of government agencies, Uh, the deputy chair of corporate watchdog ASIC, uh, Daniel Crennan, has resigned over revelations he claimed almost $70,000 of rental allowance. And the chairman of ASIC, James Shipton, has stood aside after it was revealed ASIC paid $118,000 worth of tax advice for him. He's agreed to pay that back uh, and now there's still an independent review going on into this. So there's a bit happening in this space of these executives of these government agencies. How's how's the government responding to these latest revelations about ASIC?
2: Yeah, look, I'd say it's not a good look at the best of times. We often talk about the pub test and those payments definitely don't seem to pass it. But especially at this time when we're in a recession, I think that was Scott Morrison's point about the watches with Australia Post too. A lot of Aussies are doing it tough. And taxpayers spending money on French watches just doesn't cut it. So look, ASIC, is it's an interesting one. This could prompt a big overhaul of the organisation. I think it's the right thing to do. This is a corporate watchdog. You know, they're, they're meant to sort of look out for the bad guys mm. and, and, and things going wrong in these areas. So it's not surprising to me that they stood aside.
0: Were you surprised at how um, strong the reaction was from the federal government about the watches? Because... $20,000 is a lot for watches, but it's not a lot in terms of political scandals. You know, the alleged sports rorts was in the order of $100 million. Um, there's an inquiry into $250 million worth of local council grants in in New South Wales. Watches of $20,000, why has it got so much attention?
2: I've been covering scandals like this for a while, and I think actually the amount doesn't matter. Remember, Bronwyn Bishop went over a $1,500 helicopter ride but these amounts are often more understandable to everyday people. We pay this. This is coming out of the money we give them. And often smaller amounts, we recognise that. Once it gets into billions and trillions, it just seems ridiculous. So I think we can all appreciate an $8,000 watch. There was a few of them. And in times like this, it just doesn't pass the pub test.
0: We like our scandals relatable. All right, it's time to talk about something very relatable. Woody. If you think back to March, when COVID fears were at their absolute peak, all events were being cancelled, Northern Italy was looking like a horror movie, it would have been hard to imagine at that point that our big winter sporting codes would even have a season. The AFL has moved to immediately suspend the 2020 Toyota AFL Premiership season. Due to the rapid
1: rate of infection, we can no longer guarantee the safety of our players to continue to play.
2: There was a lot of tough decisions and complex logistical plans, but the NRL and the AFL managed to get their competitions back on the field in a COVID-safe way.
0: A recommendation to the commission that's been accepted. You know, hopefully we get there and then uh, we're looking forward to completing it tonight or in the morning and make an announcement tomorrow.
2: So, of course, this is a very... Historic day. It's a historic day for the AFL, but it's a historic day for Queensland as well. The AFL
0: has issued a warning to players, partners and families as they prepare to head to Queensland for hubs there. So as you can hear, it was momentous but complex. There was fake crowd noise, travel bubbles, completely revised fixtures and a lot of challenging COVID protocols. But... Both codes got underway May twenty eighth for the NRL and two weeks later for the AFL.
2: And of course, over the weekend, both Grand Finals were played in front of more than 30,000 fans. I watched both both great games. I'd have to say the AFL game was a little bit better, <laughs> but it was amazing to see after where they started earlier in the year.
0: Take a deep breath. We did it. Grand Final 2020, who would have thought? Seconds remaining in the 2020. 2020- their
2: third premiership in four years. One of the great teams. Dustin Martin celebrates. Trent Cotchen becomes the only Tiger captain of three premierships. And they deserve all their success at the Gabba on this historic
0: night, the first ever night grand final. And it's the Tigers who are the champions. Yeah, so pretty amazing. Annika, I disagree with you slightly. I think the NRL was slightly better, but we'll leave this New South Wales Victorian <laughs> thing aside.
2: Let's find out whether the AFL in particular has suffered any lasting damage due to the COVID season, though. For example, there was major cuts to the AFL, 20% of their staff, in fact, and they had to take a bit of a hit to the broadcasting deal.
0: Yeah, so we have Eddie Maguire with us. He's the president of the Collingwood Football Club and the host of Triple M's Hot Breakfast in Melbourne.
2: Eddie, thanks for joining us. Now, the dust has settled on one of the strangest seasons in history. We didn't think we'd get there. How are you feeling about the grand final after everything this year we've sort of been through?
1: Well, the fact that Collingwood wasn't in it means that I'm feeling not that much about it, to be perfectly honest. No. <laughs> uh, you, said that, you said the dust had settled. It should have been more the Dusty has settled because <laughs> he has spent himself as one of the greatest uh, big-time players in the history of the game. First player to win three Norm Smith medals for best on ground. He single-handedly took that game apart on Saturday night. He was the difference between the two teams and uh, he deserves all the accolades. What a super player he's been. But it's uh, been an amazing year. I mean, even the grand final itself in so many ways, they epitomized with the whole season. You know, uh, the fact that it was at the Gabba, uh, the fact that uh, midway through the afternoon, there was some talk that it might even have to be delayed for the first time ever because of mm. the lightning and the torrential rain that hit Queensland. It hasn't rained there for about three months. And suddenly on a Saturday afternoon, bang, it all comes down in one go. The night grand final, uh, T- Tony Cochran, who was running all the entertainment with his wife there, uh, they had to, you know, uh, uh, dismantle stages. They had to... Uh, we uh, weren't able to put the Queensland Symphony Orchestra out on the stage that they were supposed to do it because they didn't want the strata Vales getting da- damaged, all sorts of things. I mean, right to the last kick, basically, of the season, there was just pivoting and uh, agility, as we've been talking all about, to try and get the game away. And the fact we we're actually able to get a season away and a team with the Premiership Cup was a remarkable um, testament to so many people who are able to do so, from the players right through to the administrators, to the families that were left behind, to those who went into quarantine hubs and everybody involved in the media, the whole football world, and particularly the supporters and the members. You've got to remember that the memberships, there was hardly a drop in the memberships, and these are people who have paid to go to the football who are unable in Melbourne to see one live game for the year.
0: Now, there were some breaches of quarantine, but no outbreaks. So... How challenging was it to make sure that bubble stayed safe?
1: Well, not only were there no major outbreaks, there were no outbreaks, full stop. Um, there was only one test that uh, an attendant uh, found out uh, later on was a false positive anyway. The things that fell over were just young people or people just sort of falling out, if you like. Um, you know, even the two Richmond young blokes who got out, I mean, had some bloke not walk, walk past and punched, punched one of them in the head in Cavill Avenue, probably no one would have even known, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I think it's just been a, a, a huge underlining of the discipline involved. I think our, our young sports people, they, they get maligned a lot. And uh, so, I, I mean, overwhelmingly, I just look back and think this was, it was a really tough year. I mean, I, I, was, I was talking to Gil McLaughlin at the airport yesterday, and I was on the first flight back into into Melbourne. Um, I was away personally myself for, for basically two months, and... Uh, you know, Gil uh, just working non-stop around the clock. He's just going to decompress for a couple of days. His wife and his kids came back to Melbourne to go back to school. He's having a couple of days before we get back into planning for next year. And, you know, uh, just because we've got this year away, we know certainly next year there's things we have to look at as well. Do we go early with the season? How do we go about it? It's uh, It all starts again very, very quickly. And for us in the administration world of football, we have to work out, you know, the total player payments, how much can the uh, the game afford to pay the players, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So this it's it's nonstop. You know we're in a, a state of flux, a perpetual state of flux at the moment in the world, and uh, we've luckily been able to get one season away, and you know let's give ourselves a couple of days and we'll start again on the next one very shortly.
0: Yeah, that's what we wanted to ask you about. What those lasting impacts are? Obviously, in the scope of 2020, you've done really well, but there were some really tough cuts. Uh, The broadcasting deal was renegotiated. The AFL had to cut twenty percent of their staff, and there was a hit to the clubs as well. Is that going to leave scars beyond twenty twenty?
1: Well, there's a lot of scars because a lot of great people have lost their jobs. Uh, You know, there's no joy in any of that. That's for sure. And you know, we the the reason why the AFL was so great was because it was great. Uh, Now I've had to cut that back. Um, Now, generally in these situations, I've always found, you know, when retrenchments come in in businesses like that, there's usually an overcorrection and then people come back in again. I'm hoping hoping that's the situation. But, uh, yeah, the TV cuts have come. You know, I suppose the irony in all that is that the ratings have gone up. Um, You know, the night grand final has uh, provided, you know, the biggest rating in the history of, of the AFL. Um, so there's been a lot of positives in that that we, we should look at to see where we go with it. Uh, you know, we, having said that, the, uh, you know, there was a 17-game season rather than a 22-game season, so clearly there was less product there. You know, the one thing that does stand up is the competition itself and the love of the competition by the consumers, by the fans, by the supporters of the game. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's when we can bank that, that, that football is still loved and it is still the best TV product going around. Now what we have to do is, is recalibrate that in the post-COVID, well, hopefully the post-COVID, or maybe in the COVID world as we go into year two of it and see how that works. Now, clearly everybody's uh, you know, cutting their cloth accordingly. Um, if the money's not there, there's not going to be the money for the, for the payment of players. But we have to try and, you know, and I know this to be the case, we all want the players to get paid as much as they possibly can so that the best athletes still want to play AFL football. What we can't do is diminish the product. So, yeah, we have to make the cuts around the edges, um, sometimes a bit deeper than we'd like. But, um, you know, ultimately, that's where we need to be. We need to have best coaches, best facilities, best players, best opportunities for both men and women and uh, make sure that that's the hallmark that we come out of. And, you know, I think so far what we've both been lucky in the NRL and the AFL is that uh, the key performance indicators, um, clearly we didn't have the crowds, obviously, but uh, certainly, you know, from those who have stuck as members, And certainly into the the ratings, those seem to be in root health.
2: Now, Eddie, you flagged some of the changes we saw this season. There was also the quarters were cut from the traditional 20 minutes down to 16. And of course, we had a night grand final. And I think we disagree on this. I love a day grand final. How many of those changes do you think will hang around next year or in a post-COVID world? And will we see the grand final stay as a night grand final?
1: Well, I mean, I love the day grand final as well. <clears throat> but if you want to have a situation where you, you can have a proper show around it, if that's something that you want, and if you want to have record ratings, it's got to be in prime time. It's a reason, There's a fair reason why it's called prime time. I mean, I personally think the only reason why the game wasn't played in 1896 under lights is because they didn't have the lights. I think I'd like to see it uh, have another. Now, there's mitigating circumstances as well. I mean, it was daylight saving in in queensland and it was a twilight grand final in queensland but a night grand final because of that on the east coast of australia so clearly if it was in uh, non-daylight saving time i.e if it was in september it would be earlier and you'd have a darker situation so you'd get to the twilight a lot quicker so there's a few things to to look at if people just use common sense on it um the shorter quarters well again you know maybe at the moment we had 17 games the players Seem to think if they can actually keep their pay packet going, they're prepared to play more games now. There's a lot to look at and go right. Okay, it's been a it's been a year of experimentation, and uh, you know I think I think there's a lot of things that we should should have a look at.
0: Absolutely, great to speak to you, Eddie. Thank you so much for joining us on the briefing. Thanks, guys. That was Eddie Maguire, president of the Collingwood Football Club, and Annika I would argue that the the sporting codes were a pretty Accurate reflection of society's experience with COVID this year that we thought the worst. We sort of carefully got back on track. Um, there weren't too many COVID cases, maybe with the exception of Victoria. And then, you know, ultimately it wasn't the same as, as normal years, but we got there.
2: Spoken like a bit of a Sydney side of there, Tom. I think a few Melbournians would disagree with you. But look, for them, it was really, really important that this season went ahead. I'm a Victorian. AFL is such an important part of what happens over winter. People go to games, you talk about it, you watch it. So for them, I think it actually was even more important that it did go ahead, even if they couldn't get to the games. But to be able to see their footy team play from home, I think it, it gave the year some sort of normality that we really needed.
0: And even better for the Victorians that they won both codes.
2: And the netball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, you'll find out which country has the most powerful passport.